This is a Mortarbox Media Podcast. For more podcasts and to learn how we can help you create your own, visit mortarboxmedia.com. Hey, welcome to the Madison Story Slam podcast. I am your host, Adam Rosthead, here bringing you two more great stories from one of our live events. But before we get to those stories, let's get down to just a little bit of business. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Hit the subscribe button if you are not subscribed already. And while you're at it, you can leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or Apple Podcast app or anywhere that you can do those things. That helps us a ton. The ratings help people find the show. A higher rating means more people are likely to find it. And a review helps me know what you're liking about the show and maybe what you'd like to see different about the show. I want to remind you that on Saturday, March 16th, our next live event is happening. The theme is Courage. It's happening at the Wilmar Center in Madison, Wisconsin. And it is a night of story and songs because a good dear friend of mine named Nicholas Blazina will be there to put on a little concert for us after the stories are over. We can't wait for it. We're so excited and hope you are too. And we want to see you there. Today's episode is kind of a heavier one than we normally have. First up, we've got Alejandro A. Alonso Galva telling a story about his father. And then after that, the winner of our Scars Story Slam, Julia Velu, is telling a great story about her relationship with her mother. Without further ado, here's Alejandro. So this is my first time up here. I'm Alejandro Alonso Galva, and my girlfriend thought it was a good idea for me to do hot yoga right before this. So if I sound like I have a stroke, it's because I did. So my story is about the type of scars you get when you do or you say something that you would have done differently if you would have just known a little bit better. And it's about my dad. So Alejandro, obviously, What does that mean? Where am I from? I'm from Arecibo, Puerto Rico. Uh, I was born there to a Cuban refugee, my dad, who fled from Fidel Castro's Cuba, and to a small-town farm girl, my mom, from Costa Rica, and we were dead broke. We had nothing in, in Puerto Rico. My mom used to have to take a calculator to go to the grocery store so that she could calculate how much money we exactly had and get the sales tax just right. My dad, because he was, again, a refugee, he was so poor that when he went to pick up my mom for their first date at my grandma's house, he parked the car four blocks away because it was such a piece of crap that he was embarrassed that my grandma would see it. But, thanks to Jimmy Carter, who, by the way, is eligible to run again. (laughs) Thanks to Jimmy Carter, my father was able to go to medical school. And so we knew, okay, Bobby, he's studying, things are gonna be okay. Eventually a letter comes and my dad is able to go to the Ohio State University, <laughs> the, to, uh, for a fellowship. And we get there and if we thought we were poor in Puerto Rico, oh my God, the United States prices were even worse and it was even more terrible. But again, we knew my dad was working hard, and we knew things were going to be okay. 
My dad starts his program at Ohio State. He meets his boss, his attending, and he is a racist beyond belief. He is a racist who pushes my dad in the middle of surgeries away from the patients, tells my dad, you are worthless. You don't speak English. How the hell do you think you're going to ever become a surgeon? And my dad would come home from the Ohio State every day and just break down to my mom. But my mom, being that strong farm girl, would look at my dad and say, you're working hard. It's going to be okay. And what my, what Bobby's boss, his attending, didn't understand is that it doesn't matter what language you speak when it comes to scars. It doesn't matter what language you speak when it comes to working on the human body. You don't have to speak the same language to save a life. And so my dad worked hard, and he worked hard, and eventually he was able to get a job at the University of Nebraska and leave the Ohio State University. He works hard, he works hard, and eventually he is promoted to chief of cardiovascular surgery for the University of Nebraska Medical Center. And he buys my mom a house, he buys my mom a car, and mama doesn't have to go to the grocery store with a calculator anymore. He buys my mom the American dream. But, again, my dad's Cuban, and just to give you a little description of him, imagine if Al Pacino playing Scarface, imagine if Scarface wasn't about a drug dealer, but it was about a surgeon. That was my dad, right? He'd be like, say hello to my little friend, Scapple. <laughs> that was my dad. He was gregarious. He was overconfident. Sometimes he would get called by the hospital, and they would say, Dr. Alonso, you are due in surgery. And he'd be like, oh, I'm just in the office. I'll be there in a minute. And he was at home. And he would get to the surgery 40 minutes late, but he would still finish an hour or two ahead of all the other surgeons. He just had that thing. And well, he did well, and when he got his job, he decided to treat himself. Remember that crappy car he had to pick up my mom? Well, he decided he was gonna level up, and he bought himself a 911 Porsche. Ooh, right? Impressed grandma with that! And he drove fast, and my mom started to repeat a line every day at dinner, like, Anselmo, Anselmo, you drive too fast. Anselmo, you drive too fast. And one day, he drove to work too fast, and he didn't come home. And I remember, I'll never forget, my mom answering the phone and knowing that it was a bad phone call because I heard the phone ring, and two seconds later, I heard my mother scream. And I asked her, what's wrong? And she said, your father's been in a car accident. And she went rushing out the door. And she said, you're in charge. You know, take care of your four other siblings. You're in charge. I got to get to the hospital. And my brother looks at me and he says, Alejandro, what happened? And I said, Bobby's been in a car accident. And he says, why? And I said, because Bobby's stupid. Scar number one. And so my mom's at the hospital. She sends Clara, our babysitter, over to take care of us. And we all go into the Nintendo room to wait it out, right? The little room that all the kids hung out in. And in this room was a fax machine. A fax machine that never worked. Remember fax machines? You had to like send a little thing. This thing never worked. But the phone was still viable. And so when my mom would call with updates, I'd grab the phone. And I'd listen and she'd say, 
Anselmo's going into surgery. Anselmo is out of surgery. We're waiting to hear back. Anselmo's going back into surgery. And then the phone rings again, and I answer the phone, and my mom says, are the kids listening? And I said, Mommy, see, yes, we're listening. And I take the phone, and I put it on speakerphone, and I set it down, and I said, we're listening. And my mom says, Anselmo se murió. Anselmo's dead. And my mother heard our screams go up the stairs all the way to the second floor and into the receiver of Clara's phone because this fax machine's receiver was broken. My mom never knew she was talking to me the whole day. And so Clara comes down and realizes what's happened and calls my mom, and my mom looks at me and says, they, you guys weren't supposed to find out like this. Like, I was going to come home and tell you. And this was, you know, I'm the man of the house now. And I remember just thinking, I had one job today. And that was to just take care of my siblings and to relay the news. And I screwed that up. Go to the hospital, and I'm sitting in the waiting room, and I'm with my best, best friend. And he says to me, or I say to him, this is the worst day of my life. And he says to me, you'll have worse. And though I did not have the vocabulary that I have now, I remember thinking, you're an idiot. (laughs) But I also realized he doesn't know any better. I don't know any better. Like, these are the mistakes we make. And little by little started to come to grips with these little mistakes that happen in these moments. But to this day, I think about that all the time. And this is actually the first time I've ever told this story. But I think about it all the time, and I still see my brother's face and my sister's face when, the, when through the phone my mother said, So I guess my story is about learning to forgive yourself for those little scars that happen because we're human, and sometimes we just don't know any better. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alejandro, for that story about how the little things that we do can sometimes stay with us for a very long time. Just another reminder for you listeners uh, that are in the Madison, Wisconsin area that on Saturday, March 16th, our next Story Slam event is happening at the Wilmar Center. Come hear great stories based on the theme Courage, and then after stories, Nicholas Blazina of the band State and Madison is doing a solo acoustic set of amazing songs that you won't want to miss. It's $5 at the door, and it's going to be an amazing night. So come on out. Up next, it's Julia. I'm so scared. Um, When I was young, my favorite movie was Dumbo. I don't know, something about an elephant that can fly was really cute to me. Um, But there's a scene in Dumbo where he's reaching up with his trunk to feel for his mom who's in jail, and she reaches her trunk down through the jail cell bars. 
and they reach their trunks and they're touching and she consoles him and cradles him and it's actually a very touching part of the movie um, even Dumbo's friend the little mouse um, starts to cry um, that, mo- that part of the movie is um, emotional to me because I always wanted that from my mom my mom was not very emotionally supportive to me anytime I would cry or try to express Um, how I was feeling, she would always say, stop being so emotional. And it was very hard growing up with that. Um, There were a lot of arguments and butting heads, and all the way up through uh, my teenage years, come my freshman year of high school, I'm getting ready for my um, homecoming dance. It's the weekend before homecoming and dance, and I have my dress picked out from Bellevue Square Mall, which is a very upscale mall where I live back home in Seattle. Um, People go there dressed very nicely. You don't go there dressed in scrubs. (laughs) Um, And my friends and I decided to get our nails done, and my mom had a fit when I came home with acrylic nails. It was something that she thought was a waste of money, um, but I felt good. Um, That night, I went to bed feeling really happy that I have my dress set for the weekend coming up ahead. And that morning I wake up and I have a dull, achy pain in my back. And I decide, okay, well, maybe just cramps or something. I go to school. Within the first hour of school, I couldn't get up out of my chair. And my teacher um, asked me, Julia, do you need a wheelchair? (laughs) There was no way I was going to be in a wheelchair down the hallway of my high school. No way. I would rather limp down there to the nurse's office. I couldn't even do that. I had one of my friends help me down there, and I'm just hanging on to her. The pain is excruciating back here at my lower back. And we get down to the nurse's office, and she examines me and says, well, sounds like you're constipated. (laughs) Why don't you just sit on the toilet and try to squeeze it out? So she's a nurse. She tells me that this has happened to her before. I I sit on the toilet and try to push something out. (laughs) And the pain is excruciating. I am screaming my lungs out. And she calls my mom, who I have issues with. And my mom comes to pick me up and tells me she's going to take me home. And I'm telling her, no, I need to go to the hospital. I'm in a lot of pain. I make my way up the stairs somehow into my bed, and I'm just screaming. I'm in so much pain. And my mom decides to wait for my dad to come home, who works two hours away. So I have to wait an extra two hours for him to come home before they decide that they're going to take me to the emergency room. We get to the emergency room, and they fill me up with morphine. I am still in pain. I am still screaming. And they do the ultrasound. They can't see anything. They think it's something up here. The pain's here on my back. I don't know what they're thinking. But they decide that they're going to cut me open because they can't see anything. That morning, so it's been the next morning, 
I wake up to the nurse above me, and she tells me that they found an ovarian cyst the size of a cantaloupe that had wrapped around my fallopian tube and cut off the oxygen to my ovary. But not only that, there was another cyst on my other ovary that was the size of an orange. I look down and I pull my gown open and I have staples holding my abdomen together. <clears throat> on top of this, <laughs> she tells me that I might have cancer, um, that they're going to test one of my cysts for cancer. And on top of that, I may never have children, which is very sad for me. I've always wanted to be a mother, and learning this at a very young age was heartbreaking. And on top of that, she told me that this might happen again later in my life, that a cyst will grow on my ovary, the one that's okay. Um, so I spend five days in the hospital. On the day that I come home, it's the day I should be at homecoming, and I feel like crap. I feel like I'm Frankenstein. <laughs> I feel so ugly, and I feel like my life has ended already. I've always wanted to have children. This was very heartbreaking for me. And my mom is not very comforting at all. As we're driving home from the hospital, she puts the blinker on way before our exit at home, and she tells me we're going to Bell Square, where I got my homecoming dress, to cut my hair, because my hair is matted. And I'm crying, please don't take me there. <laughs> please don't, Mom. I just do not want to go to that mall. Everybody's going to look at me. Julia, your hair is a mess. You need to have it cut. We cut my hair. And it's much shorter than I ever wanted it to be because they can't get the knots out. And when we get home, my mom walks over to me with the nail clippers because she needs to cut off my acrylic nails because of the bacteria that can grow underneath the nails. I feel like shit, and I hate my mom. I feel like she is trying to hurt me so much. And... Um, sorry. For two months, I'm waiting for my body to heal. I'm trying to get stronger so I can go back to school. Everybody's wondering where I am. Um, many nights I slept by myself in the bed that is downstairs. It's a pull-out bed. It's not very comfortable. And one night, while I'm down there, I start coughing. And if you put your hand on your abdomen and you cough, you feel your muscles contracting. It's a strenuous thing. Laughing and coughing is very hard for me to do at this time. And I have a coughing fit, and my mom's trying to lower my pain meds because the doctor told her that I might get addicted to it at a very young age. And I'm trying to scream to my mom, I need water, I need my pain meds. And she tells me no. <laughs> You can't have a pain med. And I'm like, yes, mom, I need a pain med. This is my, I can't stop coughing. And she hands me a glass of water, and she decides to call the doctor, and the doctor tells her, give her the pain med. I called my mom a bitch. 
because I was in so much pain and I hated her. Sorry. I look down as she's handing me the pill and my gown, my nightgown, was all I could wear, was covered in blood. After two months of being home, waiting for my abdomen to heal itself, it had burst open from my coughing fit. We go to the doctor, and the doctor tells me that it will be a whole nother month before I can go to school again. And I hate my mom so much. I feel like she's turned me into an ugly person, cutting my hair off and clipping my nails. <laughs> so a whole nother month of me being at home with my mom sounds like hell. But one night, she comes down to the bed that I'm sleeping in and wakes me up crying, and I've never seen my mom cry. And she reaches for my hand and tells me that she wishes that she could change places with me, that she wishes that she could be in my place and suffer what I'm going through so I didn't have to. And I knew that she meant what she said because my mom never cries. I'm 29 years old. I have a scar from my belly button that thinly goes down with white bumps along it, and then it widens. Those white bumps are from the staples. It's not attractive at all. But it's a constant reminder to me that if I ever have a child, I hope to be as caring as my mom. And I like to think that that moment when my mom reached her hand out to grab mine, that is like our Dumbo moment <laughs> together. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Julia, for being brave enough to share that incredible story about the relationship with your mom and your Dumbo moment. A big thanks to both Alejandro and Julia and all of our storytellers that we feature on the podcast for opening up themselves and letting us take a peek into their lives. Your storytelling really does build community. So again, thank you. Saturday, March 16th, one last time I'm telling you on this episode, at the Wilmar Center in Madison, Wisconsin, come on out for Story Slam Scars, an evening of story and song. It's going to be really great. We're going to have uh, stories based on the theme Scars for half the night, and then the second half, it's going to be a solo acoustic set concert with Nicholas Blazina of the band State and Madison. It's $5 at the door the first time we're ever charging, and that's just so that Nick can afford to come from Nashville and uh, maybe get a little bit of something to eat while he's out on the road on this tour. Links for YouTube videos of the stories on today's podcast are in the show notes. Also, our new web store is in the show notes. Click that link to get t-shirts, hoodies, other merch, and as always... I love you.